Hi guys, happy Friday. I'm Dr. Candace and welcome to Kidding Around. Thank you so much as usual for listening and for all your support. Today, we are talking about ADHD, Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. And I have a special guest that you've already heard from before. This is Dr. Martine Solage. She is our child and adolescent psychiatrist, hailing from Washington, D.C. with the Children's National Medical Center. So welcome, Martine. How are you today, Dr. Solage? Thank you. Thank you for having me, Dr. Dr. Candace. It's nice to be here. Awesome. And so I almost said Martine because you're my friend. So yes, it's hard. Yes. <laughs> it's hard for us to go to switch into that professional role sometimes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So we're just going to jump right in and just start off with the million dollar question. Inevitably, everywhere I go, obviously both of us, every day in practice, we probably talk about ADHD. Um, but even when we go out, like I get friends, family members, distant acquaintances, random phone calls and texts about ADHD or something a teacher said or something someone else said and people are calling me to see, do you think this sounds like ADHD? You know, with, with their child. So everybody's concerned. It comes up all the time. I'm always sidelined at a dinner or something. So, so uh, break it down for us. How do we define ADHD? So ADHD is one of the most common conditions of childhood, and it's a condition in which children have difficulties with focus, with paying attention, with staying on task. There are actually a few different kinds of ADHD, so not every child with ADHD presents in exactly the same way. Some kids with ADHD have what we call the hyperactive and impulsive type. So um, kids with that sort of ADHD have a lot of energy, are always on the go, are often very impulsive, often have difficulty staying on the same task and finishing it before going to the next task. They can be daredevils sometimes and um, are kids who are prone to scrapes and bumps and bruises and right. they're jumping out of the trees and jumping off the staircases. Yeah. So that's not the only kind of ADHD. There are also kids who have the inattentive type of ADHD. So they're not necessarily disruptive, um, and it's not necessarily obvious at first glance that they have ADHD, but they just have a lot of trouble paying attention. So they're just missing things while they're in class. They're daydreaming as the teacher's talking, um, and it can actually be quite, quite impairing. And then the most common kind is combined type ADHD. So these are children who have a little bit of both. They're inattentive, but they're also a little hyperactive and impulsive. Right. So it comes in different flavors, different if you flavor. will. Uh, everybody's different, right, in the way that they can present. Absolutely. Right. So is it, and you may have already said this, but I get this a lot. People always try to put things in a box in a category. Is it a mental illness? Or is it more of a neurologic slash developmental disorder? How are we characterizing it currently? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. So at this point, we talk about ADHD as being a neurodevelopmental disorder. Right. Uh, we know that it's highly brain-based and also very genetic, so it tends to run in families. 
Um, and we observed that kids with ADHD seem to have a lag in developing some of the skill that um, one needs to be successful, particularly in school and at the workplace. And these are skills like planning out activities, um, managing their impulses so they don't act as soon as something comes into their mind, that they can take a moment to think and sort right. of chart out the best course. Um, so these are capacities that children develop with time. And for kids with ADHD, there's just a bit of a lag um, in their ability to develop these capacities. So you said some of the teacher buzzwords, poor impulse control, <laughs> uh, things like can't stay on task. <laughs> so you might hear that from your teacher, but Dr. Salash just broke it down in a, a more simpler way. So, and you also said it's a brain thing. It's neurologic, it's developmental, it's genetic. So that to me just kind of tears down those myths and that shame and all the things that goes along with it when people get in their feelings. You don't have a bad kid. It's not something you did wrong. It's not something your kid did wrong. It, it, it's deeper than that, right? Um, it's just not something you can go spank away or be a little tougher. There's elements of everything in treatment, but you know, we try to water it down too much, I think. Um, and it is neurologic, it is in the brain, it is developmental. So we have to look at it in those elements, uh, look at it you know, from that perspective. And I'm glad you broke it down like that. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'll also say that because it runs in families, many parents that I talk to start to recognize that they themselves experienced similar yeah. symptoms when they were little or they had siblings who went through some of the same symptoms. And so um, it's true that it's often um, seen as something that, you know, maybe a child is doing willfully, but right. but, but the child who truly has ADHD, um, uh, the behaviors that they're exhibiting are really part of the condition and not something that they are willfully doing doing on purpose right, right right absolutely so how common is it what's the numbers these days <laughs> yeah so it's incredibly common as i mentioned that one of the most common conditions in childhood the um estimates of prevalence range a bit we think it's somewhere around five percent some um studies quote a little bit less and some quote as you know as high as 10 or 11 percent right. um the rates are relatively consistent even across the world so okay. it is not simply an American phenomenon, which is another sort of idea that I've uh, heard talked about by families. Um, right. ADHD happens in all cultures, uh, all, across, um, all across the globe. All races, all socioeconomic <laughs> statuses, everything. Okay. Also, so you mentioned some of those characteristics um, that, or, or signs and symptoms that a kid may be exhibiting to pick up on the diagnosis. But how do we meet the diagnostic criteria? I feel like, you know, parents pick up on some of those elements and they automatically say ADHD or the teachers or whomever, but we actually don't just do it that way, right? We, we, we have tools, we have assessments, we have um, diagnostic criteria. Can you explain that? And maybe that'll help some people to say, okay, check, 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 yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> So there are diagnostic criteria for ADHD, and um, I would just start by saying that, you know, when there might be a question about an ADHD diagnosis, it's really important to have an evaluation um, done for the child and not sort of jump to conclusions. Um, 
And the evaluation entails uh, collecting a lot of information, both from families and from school and sometimes from other settings. ADHD is a condition that really should be present in more than one setting. So it would not be something that a child just exhibits at school or just at home or just one day out of the week. It really is um, a condition that is results and symptoms that appear pretty much in every every context that the child is in. That is it also true. is something that generally starts um, in younger childhood. It right. would be um, not typical for a child at the age of 16 to suddenly develop ADHD. Right. If a child was um, struggling at that point, it would be more likely to be related to, to something else. Something else. Um, and so the evaluation, um, as I mentioned, does entail collecting data from different um, persons who know the child well. And often we make use of screening tools, questionnaires that teachers and parents can complete that really um, try to drill down what symptoms the the teacher is observing, what symptoms the parent is observing. And in addition to sort of the clinical interview, talking with you and with your child about what has been going on, your um, physician or mental health professional can help you um, put together, you know, a picture of what's happening and whether whether or not your child meets the criteria for ADHD. Absolutely. And so this is something that you can do with your primary care provider, um, but also your primary care provider can gauge if they think other things are going on or need a more stringent rule out and send you to a developmental pediatrician or to a psychiatrist. Um, So there's many routes or even maybe some psychologists at the school um, do these assessments and then forward you to the doctor if they think you need specific therapies or medications. So there's many ways to be diagnosed. Right, right. And, you know, I'll just say that ADHD, like most other conditions, really occurs on a spectrum. So there are kids who are more mildly affected and there are kids who might have more severe symptoms or they have ADHD plus other things. Right. And so the more complicated the picture, the more likely it is that your child will need to have, you know, a specialty opinion, for example, meeting with a child psychiatrist um, or a developmental pediatrician. Absolutely. And I'll be honest, I, in my practice, my colleague and I, if we feel like it's cut and dry ADHD, mild to moderate, um, and little to no comorbidities when we're not thinking about anxiety, we're not thinking about depression or any of the other mental mental illnesses, we're glad to keep you in house and treat you and take care of you. But once we pick up on other things, mood disorders and things of that nature, we definitely feel you are better served by a psychiatrist at that point in time. So that's just the way we do it. You agree with that? Sounds good. I do agree with that approach. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. What are some other mimickers of ADHD? Some things that you know is going on with the child, and you go, "That just doesn't sit right with me. It doesn't quite seem right." And you know, we need to look into other things. Mm-hmm. Now, this is, I think, a really important question because, in some ways, I think. ADHD has become kind of a catch-all term for to describe a child who's struggling. And every child who's struggling doesn't have ADHD. We really need to be thoughtful about what exactly is going on. Yes. And so, you know, one very common issue that comes up is what, as a psychiatrist, I might call an adjustment disorder. So mm-hmm. a child might experience a stressful event, maybe a divorce um, mm-hmm. of their parents, or maybe even 
a loss of a loved one, and suddenly at school they're more distractible, maybe they're having more temper tantrums, maybe they're not completing their work, and in that context, um, it would be unlikely that ADHD would present so suddenly. It may really be just um, an adjustment to a difficult circumstance. Um, Another condition that can be confused with ADHD is anxiety. Kids who are anxious are often preoccupied with a lot of thoughts and have a hard time focusing on what's going on at school and actually can have temper tantrums and behavioral outbursts. And, you know, before sort of jumping to the conclusion that this is ADHD, really, again, the child needs to have an evaluation to rule out whether, you know, actually anxiety might be causing the symptoms um, or whether the child has ADHD and anxiety together, which is incredibly common. There are many, many other things that can look like ADHD um, if you are not looking um, comprehensively at what's going on with the child. So right. things like just, you know, not getting enough sleep at night Amen. make kids irritable and um, <laughs> have them uh, really struggle to pay attention in class. Right. Um, if the behavioral problems are, are very prominent at school and not so much at home, um, and if they're worsening as the degree of academic difficulty is getting higher, you know, certainly we're thinking about learning disorders. Learning right. disorders um, often can present as though, you know, the child's not paying attention at school, but really they're having a difficult time understanding and synthesizing information that's presented to them. And so um, that, you know, is always something to keep in mind and requires a different um, sort of assessment um, by the school. Um, usually a battery of tests to sort of pinpoint what the the child's learning style is and sort of fit the curriculum to what the child needs. Um, Depression, so when kids are sad and depressed, they can have difficulties with paying attention. They can have um, behavioral outbursts. You know, children who've experienced trauma also um, Mm -hmm. can present in in a similar way. There are just many, many, many considerations. And again, you know, an evaluation is really important to make sure that the diagnosis is firm. There you go. Now there's one, I just want to kind of give parents some examples. Um, what we use in our clinic is the Vanderbilt assessment. Mm-hmm. And I know that is totally not, comp- you know, not the end all to be all. It's not the um, totally comprehensive. But like I said, I have a limited side of it. And then I know when to <laughs> move you somewhere else. But like you said, that one assessment, it would go out to parents. They do a part of the assessment. Teachers do a part of the assessment. And then you follow up with all the results to be scored. And so it looks at elements of hyperactivity, attention problems, anxiety, maybe some conduct concerns, maybe some oppositional defiant concerns, maybe some other mood or depression um, concerns. So it tries to hit on different elements and looking at the scoring, you'll go, no, I don't see attention or hyperactivity, but I see a lot of anxiety showing up here. And so that's kind of the baseline, I would say, um, just to give parents an example or, or word of a tool that we use to ask about um, with a provider if they want to go see them. Absolutely. I like the Vanderbilt as well, because as you mentioned, it covers a lot of different domains, so anxiety, depression, right. conduct issues, learning issues. It also can be tracked over time. So yes. if you, you know, do receive a diagnosis of ADHD and you start treatment, it helps you figure out whether the treatment is, is effective. And if it's not, then you actually may want to reconsider the diagnosis or reconsider 
know, the course of treatment that your child is receiving. That's right. Awesome. So that, that's good information um, so that we'll understand how the diagnosis is made. And I think you said something else that was key that, you know, the di those symptoms should be there early. And I, and I think the, the DSM, is it before 7? So it was Somewhere changed. around there. 5 or 7? Wow. Oh, now it's 12? I'm yeah, behind. It's 5. <laughs> right. 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 Um, but, right, it, it, is a, it is a condition that, that generally presents earlier in childhood, even as early as the preschool years. Right. Um, and um, I mentioned the different types of ADHD. Right. There is some thought that perhaps the kids who have more of an inattentive type might not be picked up as early. Assume, yes. Um, but yes, in general, it is something that we see earlier in childhood. And I love the thought that that child is consistently who they are no matter where they go. So they're just that way no matter what, and everybody sees it and knows it. It's not like, so parents will tell me, he does great at school, but he just really acts up with me at home. Then I go, oh, this is a parenting issue. <laughs> this is not ADHD. You know, they're coming in because they think they have ADHD, and I'll go, nope, I think we need to address home. We need to see what's going on. We need to talk about some in-home therapy or something because if they can go to school and get it all together and they're doing well, it's just something with you guys at home. You know, would you agree with that? <laughs> I do agree with that. I, I will say that, um, you know, children who perhaps have a very um, high intellectual capability, children who maybe are in a very small and supportive school, and uh, they can sort of compensate mm -hmm. um, for their symptoms. Um, and so sometimes things become more obvious, as I mentioned earlier, as the academic demands get higher or maybe they move into a different setting where they don't have quite as much support, then you start to notice the symptoms more at school. But the general principle, I think, is true that if things are sort of hunky-dory at school right. and at home there are a lot of um, behavioral interruptions, then, you know, the first step is to sort of consider, you know, what might it be about the home environment and also um, making sure there aren't other comorbid conditions that uh, might be contributing to the child's behavior. That's right. And you know, there are, I was at a conference and um, a psychiatrist brought up some other terms that I thought, I was like, wow, aha, that's it. You know, you know, because you hear attention, you hear hyperactivity, you hear distractibility, all those things. But there are some other on that list, some other ones that get down low on the list that really can significantly impair their ability to socialize, to interact, um, their emotional control. And so he said a lot about low frustration tolerance, um, that self-regulation, abilities to do that, social emotional control. You know, those are some terms that are highly characteristic of these kids and parents want to know why he just can't get along with his friends why is he always in in, in trouble when he plays where he can't play right or he doesn't interact right or he's always crying and tantruming he's seven now this should be over um and i often have to say people don't realize this is a part of the spectrum of adhd um, we can work on it, we can deal with it, but it's still some along those lists of some of the characteristics they may exhibit. And I, I agree with you that I think the, the social aspect of ADHD is sort of underappreciated a lot of times, yes. but you know, just having ADHD can really affect your ability to have positive social interactions with your peers. Right. You know, I always hear about you know the, the kid who nobody wants to sit next 
there's too lots yes. of fuss or plays too rough on the playground yes. and um and and of course we know that you know this potentially can affect a child's self-esteem yes. there you, you know as as a child with adhd not only are they often getting a lot of negative attention from adults because they're always being redirected or being told not to do something or to sit down but yes. then they're also getting sort of negative feedback from their peers who maybe you know, at, at that age, don't quite know what's going on and um, just react by saying, well, I don't want to play with you. Right, right. Um, and so we have to be, I, I agree with you, very thoughtful about sort of the emotional experience that having ADHD can create for our kids. Absolutely. So why is it that they can hyper-focus on video games and tablets? <laughs> and I get that from parents all the time, too. Uh -huh. Like, they can sit for two, three hours as long as you let them and show the best behavior in the world as long as they're in front, front of an electronic. Right. I, this is one of the, uh, <laughs> the mystifying aspects, I think, for parents. You know, kids don't seem to want to pay attention during that, you know, math lesson. But when the video games come on, they sort of hyper-focus. And, yes. you know, I think it's something that we probably need to uh, do more work to understand better. But, you know, video games and television are highly stimulating, yes. both visually and also just in terms of what it tasks the brain to do. And so it has a way of pulling kids in, in a way that, you know, say reading a good old fashioned book Boring stuff. may not. <laughs> um, it's also a very pleasurable activity. So you have, you know, sort of the pleasure centers in the brain activated as well. Um, so it's just, it's just different than needing to pay attention <laughs> at school. So that makes sense. That makes sense. And so parents get that, okay? Because I think they're saying it just to prove again that, well, if he can do that, he can do this. And it's not. It's different. So like you explained it, video games pull you in, okay? They, they, that's why they are able to sit on them and do them for so long and, and don't want to read a book, okay? <laughs> now, can kids outgrow ADHD? Do we see those same kids with ADHD continue having those symptoms into adulthood? Mm -hmm. This is another area where we, you know, certainly need more research. It does seem that there's a large number of kids who can outgrow ADHD. There often um, are kids who they may not fully outgrow their ADHD, but it may change over time. So yes. they may become less mm -hmm. hyperactive over time, maybe more inattentive. Um, and then there are some some kids who you know continue just to struggle with their 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 symptoms all through childhood and then continue into adulthood. We're learning more and more about adult ADHD. We're learning more and more about the trajectory of ADHD over time. Um, so it is true that some kids will outgrow it, but it, unfortunately at this point we're not really able to predict you know who will end up not having symptoms when they get right. to be adults and, and who will continue to have some symptoms. Yeah. I think that's the point because a lot of parents want to say in the early stages, he'll outgrow this, she'll outgrow this. And I do say that's highly possible. The numbers support it. Um, but we don't know who. Like you said, there's no way to predict which child is and which child isn't. So we still have to address it in this moment, right? And, and, and I do agree with you that I think adults, as you become more mature, because we do have a developmental element here, right? Um, maybe you're able to cope. Maybe you gain coping skills. Maybe you gain better self-regulation and emotional control, learn how to deal with others. So things tend to be or seem to be milder over time. You're, you're coping better. 
so I do I definitely agree with that and that's the way I tell my give my um, parents that glimmer of hope <laughs> absolutely <laughs> but I still say you got to do your work or absolutely. you know because we know segueing into another topic we know that um, kids who are untreated or their ADHD is untreated undiagnosed or um, you're not you don't deal with it you don't face it head on and deal with it and try to work on it. We know those kids have worse outcomes, you know, later in life um, versus kids who it is accepted and diagnosed and treated. And we'll talk about all those elements. Um, we know that there are worse outcomes. Can you speak to what some of those outcomes are? Sure. I mean, first I will say, especially with good treatment, many um, kids with ADHD go on to do quite well, certainly go to college, certainly there are adults with ADHD who are lawyers, physicians, right. nurses, you know, in all in all fields. Um, so receiving a diagnosis of ADHD doesn't mean that your child needs to be limited in any way That's in terms right. of what their future is going to be. Um, and in fact, the, the goal of the treatment is really to help them reach their full potential. That's right. That being said, we, as you mentioned, you know, without good treatment, um, it does appear that ADHD can put kids at risk for some negative outcomes down the line. Um, so, you know, sort of in the more immediate term, as I mentioned, there are impacts on self-esteem, right. um, on the child's mood, um, which, you know, can even turn into, you know, comorbid mood disorder. Right. Um, but even looking longer term, um, children who have ADHD, and particularly if um, they don't receive treatment, do seem to be at high risk of developing things like depression when they get older, right. are actually um, potentially more at risk for risky behaviors like substance use, right. um, reckless driving, That's right. unwanted pregnancy. Yes. And then they're, again, going back to that social and emotional component, they have more upheaval in their relationships, their romantic relationships, yes. their um, relationships with employers and their mm -hmm. colleagues at work, and so the occupational outcomes um, tend to be tend to be um, not not as good as they would be otherwise, um, and the academic outcomes as well tend there not to be go. as good. So again, you know, we have to sort of keep our eye on um, helping each child reach their potential and providing them with the support as much support as we can. That is right. And then, you know, I, I've even, I know there's ongoing research of this. I think I read a, a study out of um, somewhere in Europe. I want to say it was Sweden. Um, but anyway, even criminality. And you could, yeah. you already kind of said it. If you're having more accidents, engaging in more risky behavior, you, you're you more likely to maybe do some things that are criminal. Um, because true. you still have that poor impulse control. You haven't dealt with it and other elements. So, so address it. This is the message here is address it, do the best you can for your child to reach their full potential, treat them, whichever path to treatment you choose, but address it, address it and help your child. Don't let it just go and go and go. So the big topic here is management, treatment. Uh, what are the elements of treatment? And then, I, you know, well, let me stop. What are the elements of treatment? <laughs> <laughs> so um, the treatment plan really has to be individualized to the child and the family. Um, but usually it includes at least a few components from my standpoint. So, um, one, um, we think about the sort of environmental context. So many kids who have ADHD need adults in their lives who have some understanding of the condition and who can provide support. And this particularly comes into play at school, 
where you know um, the, the the classroom environment can really be um, modified to make sure that the child is getting you know the prompts that they need to stay on task, that they're getting additional one-to-one time if needed right. to help them to help them function well. And at home, parents can learn um, you know um, how to effectively provide guidance and limits and direction to kids with ADHD. You know, certainly it is more challenging with a child with ADHD to provide um, the the kind of direction um, that they need. They need often single step commands, they sometimes need reminders, they sometimes need visual cues. There are all sorts of strategies that might be needed for a child with ADHD that might not necessarily be needed for another child. So, you know, we are always thinking about sort of the environmental context. Right. I want to stop you. I want to stop you right there. With all that being said, and and I have to raise my hand and and I'm, I'm one of those parents, with all that being said, how do you learn those skills? So you're not just born with those skills. You can't just get online and learn those skills. You can't just um, resort to your own understanding, you know, because that's where it gets rough. That's where you start trying different things, what grandmama said, what the preacher said to do, you know, all of these different things. How do you get those skills and make sure your teachers have those skills and you have those skills and dad has those skills and everybody's on the same page and we're have this circle of from school to home to school to home so that we can work with this child in the best way to, um, I guess, to keep their self-esteem and confidence you know, protect it for the future, but also uh, guide them and lead them through their difficult challenges that they are presenting because they are difficult. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know, there are resources out there. You know, some, some parents like to educate themselves by reading books or, mm-hmm. you know, doing some research online. Um, but I think many families find that, you know, the personal touch is helpful and getting connected with a therapist yes. can help ding, ding, guide ding, you ding. learning some of these techniques. <laughs> That's what I wanted. That's what I was waiting for you to say, because this is the, I mean, let's say new recommendations now for a kid under four, three, you know, the younger kids, which we used to kind of shy away from diagnosing with ADHD. But these younger children can be diagnosed. But the first line therapy, and I still believe the first line therapy for all kids, depending, should be some behavior therapy. And behavior therapy is not just for the child. It's also for the people who are dealing with the child. So you can learn those skills. So I love in-home behavior therapy with a a behavior plan that goes to school. That therapist should also maybe reach out to the teachers. And I feel like that helps a lot. It closes the loop. So don't try to get away from therapy. I think it's so effective to do all the things that Dr. Salaz just said. Please, therapy. <laughs> parent therapy, parent coaching, um, all everything you can get. They have social uh, classes for parent and children. They have all, all types of therapies to help your child uh, be successful in whatever area they're struggling in and also help the parent to be able to prompt them into those things. You learn it too. Okay, go. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Yes, so I, you know, I, I, I agree that I, it can really be, be um, very helpful to have, have therapy in place and, 
as you mentioned, to have a lot of collaboration between yes. all the adults who are caring for the child. Um, as you mentioned, um, for the really little ones, our preschoolers, certainly they can be diagnosed with ADHD, but we find that they're more sensitive to some of the medications that we use and right. um, first-line treatment for, for the little ones um, you know, are these psychosocial interventions and, and therapy. Right. Um, for older kids, you know, looking at the, the, the data that we have thus far, and of course we have a lot to learn, you know, we have found that um, medications can be dramatically effective. Right. Um, and in comparison to many other medications I know that I prescribe as a psychiatrist, but even medications in other fields of medicine, um, the, the medications that we use for ADHD, you know, can have such a clear and compelling effect um, and really help reduce the distress of the child. Now, again, you know, certainly, um, Using a medication a child is not something to be taken lightly and it's right. not something to be done without, you know, the appropriate evaluation. Um, but for kids who um, do have a true diagnosis of ADHD, um, which, which um, in order to have the diagnosis means that there's been some impairment in the child's functioning, right. um, they can really be helped uh, by medications and actually the medications can work relatively quickly. Yes. Um, and when I'm talking to families, I'm always talking to them about, you know, how precious um, you know, a year in a child's life is in terms of their learning um, and how, you know, we want to be proactive in addressing these issues because, you know, um, uh, if you lose an academic year of school, um, it's hard to catch up. Um, and Absolutely. so we, we just really want to optimize our child's experience as much as possible. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. You don't have, you know, I would say in medicine, um, Time is myocardium, time is brain. You know, we talk about oxygen right. to the heart and the brain. I feel that serious about your this your academics for your child. You know there's a problem. Don't don't waste this year. Don't waste next year. Don't waste next year. I mean, because you're missing the building blocks of reading, writing, arithmetic, and all of that stuff. And it's hard to catch up, so address it. And and it definitely does, like you said, impact ac academics right away. It definitely helps them focus, settle down, be less distractible, um, so they can learn. That's how they're going to learn. Absolutely. Right. And they build confidence as well, so it helps their self-esteem. And, and they see, oh, I, uh, nobody's fussing at me. I can sit still, you know. I'm not the bad kid, you know. So it, it really does help them. And I know parents are sometimes worried about medications, but um, with a great uh, provider and you guys talking about the risk benefits, the side effects, everything to look out for and you have good follow-up, if there's any concerns about any side effects, you, the, the doctor's not going to go away. They're there. Um, so just get, get all of that out of your system and talk with them about it and work through that and then and go. Another thing you said, so for the older kids, we know that medication is probably one of the most effective things. But in combination, also again with therapy, you get a little bit more bang for your buck, right? Yeah. Absolutely. So let's break down these medications. What are you using? What's the cat? What do we do? What are we doing to treat them? <laughs> so the first line medications are uh, what we call the stimulant medications, okay. um, and there are a couple of different kinds. Actually, there are many different formulations out there, um, and really, you know, you want to be um, talking with your doctors about the risk and benefits of, of using each, each form. Um, they come in all different flavors, to borrow your words, yes. so there are medications that are 
very short acting, so you take them a few times a day. There are medications that are very long acting, so you can take them just once a day. There are medications that are liquids, there are medications that are pills, there are medications that are capsules that you can open up, there are medications that are patches that you can slap on your skin. I mean, it's very (laughs) overwhelming in some ways if (laughs) if you're not um, having an open and active communication with your provider. But again, the stimulant medications are the first-line treatments and um, tend to be uh, very helpful. Um, And most children can tolerate them um, and do do well with them. There are other medications that we use as second-line medications um, for children who have not had a good response to stimulants or can't tolerate them for some reason. Um, These are medications like adamoxetine and also the alpha agonist medications um, like guanfacine and, and clonidine. Um, and again, I would say, you know, we talked a little bit about the, the range of ADHD and the spectrum of ADHD. You know, most kids will respond to sort of the first line treatments. If your child is not responding to first line treatments, that might be a time to really seek out specialty consultation so right. that you, you know, can have a dialogue about the full range of options um, that are needed and, and also perhaps refine the diagnosis. Absolutely. So go back and tell us some of the names. Maybe give us your, because docs all have their favorites that they pull out, um, some of your favorites. And I know you gauge it based on the child. And like, say, for instance, this child's age, they're not going to be able to swallow a pill. They need long acting versus short acting. But even within that, what are, what are some of your favorite stimulants? Just giving parents some names. Okay. Well, I don't know. If I, I don't want to. I don't want to play favorites too much, but I'll and just she, say that. And so full disclosure. Flashes of stimulants. And full um, disclosure. The, the Pardon? And full disclosure, you're not getting paid by any of these companies. Oh, <laughs> absolutely, I'm not getting paid by anybody. No, no pharmaceutical connections. <laughs> but um, so there are two classes of stimulants. There are the methylphenidates, and sort of uh, the the most familiar name that one probably hears is Ritalin. Okay. Um, there's also Concerta and Fungalin that fall into this class. And then the other class are the amphetamine salts. So okay. these are, um, for example, Adderall is a medication a lot of people aren't familiar with. Um, and really, you know, the truth is that every child responds differently. You know, as a general right. principle, if a child starts with a methylphenidate and really doesn't do well, then we would try something from the, the amphetamine salts class. Um, we, we tend to start with lower doses and titrate up. Right. Um, but really, if the child's not, not um, having a benefit, at a good dose of medication, and maybe time to switch. Um, I think more and more, you know, my practice is to use longer-acting medications when I can. Right. I think it's less disruptive to the child. Right. They don't have to worry about going to the school nurse in the middle of the school day. Mm-hmm. Um, but not every child can tolerate it. So it does need to be, you know, individualized to the child. Absolutely. So, so what are some of the side effects that parents really worry about? Mm-hmm. So the most common things with the stimulant medications, um, one is the appetite suppression. So kids tend to be a little bit less hungry um, when they're taking the medication. Um, And this is something that, you know, is relatively common. It most of the time can be managed. Occasionally, if it persists and can't, you know, be managed with a few of the usual strategies that we have up our sleeves, we do, we do change medications. Um, so a child who's on a stimulant medication should have their weight regularly tracked to right. make sure they're staying along their, their growth curve. Um, but we give parents advice like taking their medication after the child's gotten a good breakfast, yeah. perhaps having, especially the little ones, having someone at school keeping an eye to make sure that they're finishing their 
lunch, exactly. uh, building in some healthy snacks yes. uh, in the afternoon and perhaps in the evening, you know, letting them have a little bit more at dinner, again, you know, focus on nutritional foods, but, you know, but, but realizing that they may not have eaten as much as at lunch, they can kind of catch up during That's the day. Right. There are lots of different strategies to kind mm-hmm. of manage that, that issue. That's relatively common. Sleep issues are also right. relatively common, um, and um, the stimulant medications can make it more difficult to sleep at night. I do encourage um, families, again, you know, going back to having a good evaluation um, prior to even starting medications to, you know, maybe reflect on what the child's sleep was Sleeping before starting like. That's right. <laughs> Kids with ADHD uh, notoriously have, are difficult to settle for sleep. That's so. Right may not actually be the medication mm-hmm. that's causing the sleep. You may just be paying more attention to it once you start the medication. Yes. Uh, but that being said, it is a real side effect that can happen. We can um, address it by sometimes giving the medication earlier in the day. So the medication is, uh, there's less medication in the system at bedtime. Uh, we sometimes have to reduce the dose. Um, uh, right. Occasionally we use other medications at nighttime to help with sleep. Um, so there, there are a few different strategies. Again. You know, as you mentioned, you want to be in partnership with your with your physician and always be talking about what you're seeing, you know, any concerns that you have so That's you can right. get guidance you. Absolutely. Uh, that good follow-up and connection. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, there are some other things, so some tummy aches and headaches. Um, some folks worry about possible cardiac effects like increasing blood pressure or other things. Right. You know, really for kids who have healthy hearts, who don't have a history of any heart problems, um, the stimulants are, you know, very safe and, and unlikely to cause any serious heart problem. But, you know, again, with the regular monitoring that you're doing, you're going to have their blood pressure checked, their heart rates checked um, uh, as they're taking the medication. Right. So we no longer have to, unless there's some significant risk factor, um, that the physician finds out about. We no longer have to send them to be cleared by cardiology before or have EKGs and all these things before they start medication. No, not right. unless, you know, they, they themselves have a, a heart condition or if there's a, a serious heart condition that's run in the family, right. then your, your pediatrician may advise you to see cardiology um, uh, prior to starting the medication. But that's, that's the exception rather than the rule. Right. Uh, there are a few other more rare, rarer side effects that, that, that kids may experience. And, you know, they may experience a change in their mood or even in their thinking. Again, that's pretty unusual, but, you know, parents, you know, if you have any concerns, you bring that to your physician that's so that right. that can be addressed. Absolutely. Now address the, these are the words I hear, um, zombie kid. You know, I don't want to turn him into a zombie. What is, uh-huh. what's, what's the cause of that? Yes. Well, first so, of all, they're not a zombie, but you know, you've heard that <laughs> term, right? <laughs> so, you know, it, it's, um, it's a concern that I hear a lot. And again, you know, rarely stimulant medications in particular can um, affect a child's mood or even make them feel numb, um, less playful right. um, than usual. I consider that a side effect. That is not the end goal of the medication. That is not the desired right. effect of the medication. You know, the, the medication should not alter the personality of your child, they should still be happy and playful, and actually, you know, really our goal is for them to be able to more successfully engage with their peers, make friends, feel good and confident at school. That that is really what we're looking for. Um, So if you are worried, and you, you know, parents know their children best, if you're worried that they are not not themselves, then that is something to bring to the attention of your doctor. Um, and just know that there are ways to address it, whether it's by changing medications or doing something else. 
Absolutely. And any addictive potential with these medications? That's another worry I get from parents. Mm -hmm. Yes. So um, these are controlled substances. Um, and I know that brings up a lot of worry from parents. I get those questions too. But at the doses that we prescribe to children, if taken as directed, it's really unlikely to result in um, any sort of addiction or um, or misuse. Now, as we get to our adolescent years, yes. we're certainly vigilant <laughs> about this. And you know, one thing that actually we worry about more is um, kids who might feel pressured to give their medications to other peers who don't have ADHD but want to use the medication either just to boost their academic performance or even to get a right. high. Um, so that's something that you know we need to have dialogue with our kids about. You know the fact that that you know is actually illegal. That is <laughs> One, illegal. but two, you know, for, it's a medication that you're taking for your health, so it's something that you need to you know take and take as directed, and you shouldn't be giving it to other folks. And then just linking back to your prior question, you know, um, without treatment, um, we do worry about down the line. You know, kids doing risk-taking behaviors like um, getting in, involved in substance. Right. So in some ways, by sort of managing their ADHD symptoms, we're hoping that we can sort of they prevent, uh, prevent them from getting, getting, going down that path. Of Absolutely. Now, you know there's trends of um, natural people, I would say, <laughs> who are just not going to take any medication, and they believe in a certain diet or certain vitamins, different things to treat a child with ADHD. What are your thoughts on that? So yes, I know. I know that there <laughs> there there can be a desire to find you know um, uh, remedies that feel more natural than right. say medication or don't take quite as much uh, time as going to therapy and talking to school and all of the work intensive things that we ask parents to do. You know, there really isn't good evidence at this point that there are natural supplements that you know can dramatically affect ADHD symptoms. You right. know, some folks have researched, you know, omega-3 fatty acids that might mm -hmm. potentially have some small positive effect, but, you know, um, in general, there isn't a sort of natural remedy that we point to to be effective with ADHD. And just because you can get something over the counter, you can get something at the store, doesn't mean that it's without side effects either. And in fact, many of the, the, the supplements out there are right. less regulated than the medications that we have. So absolutely. you still, you know, absolutely need to use caution. And yeah, I recommend that you really stay within the bounds of what, you know, what we know, what the evidence has shown us and um, right. work closely with your physician about, you know, what your options are. That's right. Anything you put into your body has a, has risk of side effects so buying it and it says natural doesn't mean it's going to be even safer you know so i totally agree with that so that's it i know this topic we could talk about it all day long but at some point you lose your audience so i think we covered most of the basic information um in a nutshell to for people to understand adhd better as usual i always want to leave um, our audience with resources so give us some resources, some websites maybe where parents can go and get more information. If we left something out, they can fill in that hole and, and, and find out more information. Absolutely. Well, so I always point parents to the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry. They have great resources on their website for parents, including a very detailed medication guide um, where you can read in depth about you know, what ADHD is and what the medications are and what side effects you, uh, to consider. Mm -hmm. So that is a reputable, reliable source 
Yeah. So again, that's the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry. Um, A-A-C-A-P dot O-R-G. Got it. Got it. (laughs) Well, we appreciate you as usual. We will have you back again because I I love the way you break things down and explain them. And and on other topics, we already have a plan. And we appreciate (laughs) your time today, Dr. Solage. And we will talk to you again soon. It is my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. All right, guys. Thank you, guys. I'm out of here, too. Have a great day. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye. I can't keep on losing you over complications. Gone too soon. Wait, we was just hanging. I can't seem to hold on to. Dang, the people that know me best, the key that I won't forget. Too soon, I can't keep on losing you.